0: Chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. And this afternoon we'll be looking at verses twelve through the end of the chapter, Romans chapter six. Get the right. Uh, i be looking at practical, practical sanctification. In the first part of this uh, chapter, chapter six, Paul has already established that a believer cannot continue to live in sin once he has been saved, and this stems from their unification with Christ both in his death and resurrection. And then sanctification is a fact for everyone that is in Christ. We have died to sin and have been raised to a new life in Christ. Now with this principle firmly established, the the Apostle Paul completes this chapter then by exhorting us to live in light of the truth that he has just presented. In other words, Paul tells us how our sanctification is to be worked out in our lives. And as we will see, just as in justification, sanctification is nothing more than a man surrendering himself to God in obedience and in faith. It's not a work in the sense that we're left to perform in our own strength, Uh, But the sufficiency of Christ is the key to personal holiness. Now, in principle, we know and reckon, as we looked at in verse 11, we reckon, we count on the facts of which we are assured. In practice, then, we simply have to choose what we now yield ourselves to and what we will obey. And with the 12th verse... We come, in a sense, to a new section, at any rate, a new subsection of the argument which Paul unfolds in this sixth chapter. It brings us to the application in a practical manner, a manner of argument, a practical manner of argument Paul's been working out in the first 11 verses. And we as believers are not for a moment on our own. Our acceptance has been magnificently emancipated us from our tyrant enemy, but it has absolutely bound us to our friend and our king, the one we just sang about. And our glad consent to be accepted has carried with it a concept, uh, consent to belong. Now in these verses, there's three exhortations that Paul gives to those who are freed from sin by our uh, virtue of our relationship with Christ. So we look at these three, and uh, then we'll be done, and uh, we'll be on our way. First of all, accepting the responsibility. Verses twelve through fourteen. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you may that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of the righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. In the cross of Christ, the work of man's redemption and atonement was paid in full. I think we're well aware of that, and we know that it was by the grace of God. And yet there is... upon a a responsibility to respond to. We have a responsibility to respond to what God has done. We're called to come to Christ. In much the same way, the work of day-to-day holiness is provided in the work of the Lord Jesus, and yet it's a truth to which we must, by faith, respond. It demands a, a response. And the opening verses of this particular section give to us the responsibility we must accept if we're going to experience full deliverance that we have in Christ. And so Paul tells us about this responsibility. First of all, there's a responsibility to stand. To stand. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that is, that ye should obey it, and the lust thereof. Here's another one of Paul's therefores. He says, Therefore. Basically is what he's giving to us. Even though the word's not there, he's saying, let us not uh, uh, let not sin therefore reign. There's the word, therefore. Doesn't start with it, but it's there. Uh, Paul moving on from uh, all he's written previously. He says, Now understanding that your old man in Adam is dead, and Christ died to destroy the body of sin in light of that truth, we need to refuse to let sin dominate or reign or control in our mortal body. Now he acknowledges that we're still in these mortal bodies. And if you're not in your mortal body this afternoon, then you've got a problem. We're all here in our bodies, right? The phrase mortal bodies here has, is kind of a synonym word for flesh that Paul often uses. He speaks of the human, uh, that human and therefore fallen part of our bodies. While acknowledges, he acknowledges the presence of sin, he calls us to stand against it. He says, refuse to obey it in the lust thereof. That's taking a stand. Against sin. Because our moral bodies still lust after sinful things, and we're called to defiantly, if you will, stand against those lusts. The second thing he says is to submit. Someone reading this says, Well, oh, Paul, those lusts and those passions are so strong, how can I stand against them? Well, the answer comes in verse 13. Paul writes, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And we come to a very vital word in this section. It's the word yield. It literally means to stand aside. And to the idea of the word is to present or provide something. Paul says we're not to yield our members to sin. The word uh, translated members here, It speaks of a limb or a part of the body. Paul says, don't let give your eyes, don't give your ears, your hands, your feet, or any of the members of your body to the work of sin. But rather submit yourself, as he says here, unto God as those alive from the dead. Now that's a reference back to verse 10, and your members as instruments of righteousness of God. Someone has said the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And that is the heart of this section. The secret to sanctification is found in an old familiar place of submission. Are we willing to submit to the Lord? So we're to stand, we're to submit. Thirdly, we're to see. Verse 14, "For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. Paul exhorts us to yield ourselves completely, body, soul, unto God. And it's not it is upon this basic principle that Paul's whole premise stands, our position has changed. the law said, do, And we finally come to the point where we say, I can't. And then we repose ourselves upon Christ. And now we have moved from condemnation to justification and from the law's lofty demands to the loving grip of grace. We're under grace. When a man sees this fact, he accepts it as a God-given truth in his life. Then he understands that Paul is emphatically saying that sin shall not have dominion over you. When we see that we're under grace, that we no longer are trying to break free from sin by doing and doing and doing, as much as we are by faith responding to our already purchased freedom, and it's not a matter of doing anymore, it's a matter of depending. Depending upon the Lord. Paul gives us the responsibility of standing against our former tyrant of sin, standing on the promise of our new master, to whom we're yielding in the place of sin. This leads us to Paul's second point in this section, that is acknowledging the rule. In verse 15 through 19, in verse 15, Paul, in a way, restates the question that opened this chapter he he says there in verse 15 what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace and his response to this sort of no rules philosophy has not changed again he says the answer to that is god forbid many way paul interjects this question in response to his statement in verse 14 And it's also a bridge to the principle he's about to unfold in the verses that follow. And as he did earlier in this chapter, Paul proves that this view is impossible in light of the truth of the gospel and the life of a person that truly believes the gospel. And so to prove this impossibility, Paul employs the ugly imagery of slavery. Now, we don't like to talk about slavery but Paul uses it as an image here. He says in verse 16, Know ye not that, ye, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants, and that's the word there, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He says the true sign of where a man stands is found in whom the man serves. Who do you serve? In other words, for someone to say that they are saved by grace and so they're free to live in sin would be a contradiction of the very meaning and purpose of God's grace. We're not free to sin, we're free from sin. Now, as we think about this idea of of slavery here, it's a matter of of being practically holy as a matter of rule. That is, it's a matter of who or what rules in our lives. Paul says the believer is, in essence, the slave of Jesus Christ. That's what the word servant here uh, has to it in its meaning. The same word that Paul, if you go back to chapter uh, 1, it said Paul, a servant there, chapter 1, 1. It's the same word, it's the word doulos, and it's properly translated bond-slave. That's, that's the meaning of it, bond-slave. It's not something the believer must accept, for it is true whether we accept it or not. It's something a believer must simply acknowledge in their daily lives. Now, Paul gives us three ways in which we are bond-slaves to Jesus Christ. First of all, we're slaves by decision. We come bring this in in verse sixteen Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. It's a matter of decision. By coming to faith in Christ, a person has already yielded to Christ, turned from sin, that is repentance, and that yielding is simply continued then throughout the rest of our lives. And so it's a choice. It's a choice we have to make every day. Now, we don't get saved every day, but we still have to choose to yield ourselves to Christ. We're either bond slaves to the tyrant of sin or we're bond slaves to the truth of Christ. And for the believer, there really is no choice. Actually, it's a choice, but uh, we willingly, gladly, happily submit to the rule of Christ if we are in Christ, but we've made the decision. So we're slaves by decision. Secondly, we're slaves by deliverance. Paul begins verse 17 with a st- wonderful statement here. He says, But God be thanked that ye, are ser- ye that ye were servants of sin. Notice the word were. That's a very important uh, word there. Were. Paul is talking about a past condition. But if it is past, how did it pass? Paul continues and he says in verse 17, But ye have obeyed. From the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered, was delivered you. Now when we are half-hearted Christians, we get into trouble, don't we? If you're a half-hearted Christian, you're going to get yourself in trouble. How would you rate your heart obedience right now? Paul is rejoicing that they obeyed the form of doctrine, delivered them. Someone has said this doctrine was not handed to you, but rather you were handed to this doctrine. In other words, it was a transaction performed by God to which you agreed or obeyed. In this verse, it uses obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine. I want you to... Focus in on that word. Form means an image, something wrought of metal or stone or a mold. If you pour a liquid into a mold and then let it set up, sometimes it's a hot liquid, or sometimes you, you, it may be. Well, I guess Jello's hot when you pour it in the mold and then you let it set up. Right? That's that's the idea. The mold here. When Jesus saves a person, that person becomes a new creation in Christ. He's cast into the mold of divine truth and the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were poured into a new mold, God's mold of truth and righteousness. That's the word form here. And then like a sculptor, the Spirit of God continues to mold or make or shape our lives. And the gospel shapes our character into this new mold. And so the praise belongs to God alone, for it was Him that brought me into that truth of the gospel. I am no longer a slave to sin, but a slave by deliverance unto the gospel. But then thirdly, we're slaves by devotion. Verse 18, being made me and then made free from sin, you became the servants or the bond slaves of righteousness. In other words, you were bought, brought out of one slavery that you might be brought under a, the rule of another. And then Paul pauses here in verse 19 and he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. I think this is an interesting statement here. Essentially, Paul is saying, I am using a human picture or an illustration to demonstrate a spiritual truth. And again, this illustration is that of slavery. Now, slavery, we say, is a, is a terrible practice when you find it in the human world. You say, well, thank God there's no more slavery, right? Wrong. Sad thing, there's a lot of slavery going on in our world today. But that's the illustration, that's the picture that Paul is giving, and he's employing this human activity of slavery to point out how man responds to the work of God in his life. And so he says here: For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, and to unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. And here's a core thought here. We remember what slavery to sin is like. And Paul says that just as we were slaves to sin, we are now slaves to Christ. And as we are devoting ourselves to the service of sin, now as slaves with a new owner, we devote ourselves to the servants of Christ. tell you though, we have a much better owner in Christ than we did in sin. No believer will ever live practical daily holiness that does not understand and apply the rule of Christ in their lives. We are brought out of that we might be brought under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. And so then in closing this chapter, we find Paul gives one final exhortation that helps us practically experience our sanctification in Christ. And so we see the applying, the the reflection Verse 20 verse twenty through 23. Paul spoke briefly of the past in verse 17. Now he calls to, the purpose, to purposely look back and reflect upon where we were, where we are, where we will be. It's good sometimes to reflect on the work of God in our lives. Now I think sometimes when we do that, we have a tendency to reflect on the bad things that happen or what we were before we were saved. And I don't, I don't think we should spend a lot of time thinking about that, other than think, just thank God, boy, I'm not there anymore. But we reflect on the work that God did. you remember the day that you got saved? Do you remember what it was like before you got saved? You know, when we do, we find the truth can apply to our daily Living. There is an aspect of learning from the past. In verse 20, Paul states a very simple truth here. He says, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Paul encourages us to remember that we were slaves to sin, and when we were, we had no righteousness with which to appease God, we were guilty. And then he follows this simple statement up with a very sensible question. He asks, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? I mean, what good did you do before you got saved? What fruit did you have? He says, for the end of those things is death. In good spiritual reflection, we realize that there are no good old days, are there? People talk about the good old days. You know, if we were honest, we would say, I don't want to go back to the good old days because they really weren't good in the sense of our spiritual lives, okay? Before we got saved, it wasn't good. Our infernal taskmaster had us laboring in the field that only grew dead crops. There's no fruit and so it is good to reflect upon our sinful past only for the purpose of remembering how bad it was. Anyone who has truly been freed from the past can only see it as such, and we learn from our past the fruitlessness, the frivolity, and the futility of sin's slavery. That brings us to living in the present, verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Paul encourages us to remember that when we were slaves to sin, we had no righteousness. But he says, but now. That was then, and you should reflect upon it as a truth that lies there, yet Paul does not want us to spend too much time reflecting on the past. And so he calls immediate attention to reflect upon the present. Where are you right now? He says, you become servants of God, you have fruit unto holiness. In the field of sin you had no fruit, nothing which you could please God with. But now in the servitude of the Lord Jesus, you have the fruit of holiness, and it brings glory to God. Think of that. A slave to sin under the wrath of God is now a slave to the Savior under the pleasure and favor of God. Let's reflect upon that. And so there's some things that we can learn from the past, but we have to live in the present. But as we live in the present, we need to look for the promise. Looking for the promise. At the close of verse 22... It's more closely akin to verse 23, but Paul says that our fruit is unto holiness and the end of that fruit is everlasting life. Our slavery to sin brought only a life with the conclusion of death. Our slavery to Christ brings about life with no conclusion. We have everlasting life. And then that wonderful, wonderful verse of Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, it's a wonderful verse. It's a familiar verse. And it even shines more brightly when we place it in the bouquet of its context. So many times we think about that verse and we think about it you know, by itself. But think of it as a part of this context. Sin paid us in death, and rightly so, for that is the wage we earned as guilty sinners. And when we reflect on that truth, along with the fact that God has by a gift, an act of total free grace, He's handed to us eternal life in Christ, we can appreciate more and more and more the benefits of being Christ's servants. So reflection results in surrender. Surrender results in holiness. And every day I can live in submissive response to the truth of my liberation in Christ. And that's one of those paradoxes of Scripture. We're set free in Christ, we're set free of sin, but we're become bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's practical sanctification. What wonderful truths from God's Word. Do you believe them? Are you living out your practical salvation, your practical sanctification? That is, accepting the responsibility to stand, to submit, to see. Acknowledge the rule. We are slaves now by decision. We've decided to follow Jesus. Uh, We're slaves by deliverance. He's delivered us out of sin into a new life. And we're slaves by devotion. We're going to be devoted to our Lord and Savior, not to sin. And we're going to apply the reflection, learning from the past, living in the present, and looking for that wonderful promise of everlasting life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you